Dr. Duke, uh, thank you so much uh, for answering this question in advance. Um, so I am a black 39-year-old woman, um, no kids. Um, I often struggle with fibroids. Um, they tend to grow rather large. I have actually had uh, a myomectomy about five years ago. Um, I've struggled with fibroids probably since my mid-20s all the way through my late 30s. Um, like I said, I've had surgery to remove them. Um, and I was recently told by my gynecologist that, um, that the fibroids are growing back. Um, so my thought is, or my question is, outside of surgery, um, what should we know or what can we do differently to slow down or eliminate the growth of fibroids? I found that there's very little information out there around the treatment of fibroids um, I, outside of surgery or medication. Um, both options I'm not really um, that uh, excited about. So I was wondering if there are any dietary changes. Um, I'm a pretty active person. I exercise regularly. I have a pretty healthy diet. Um, what else should I be doing or thinking about in the treatment of fibroids? Thanks again. Okay. Yes. Well, that's a great question. Mm -hmm. So she's 39 year old, never pregnant, history of fibroids, actually had them removed five years ago, and now she's told they're back. And that's actually pretty common. So the thing I want everyone to hear right now is it's not that the fibroids are back in that they've regrown. These are new ones. But here's the startling statistic. We know that 65% of women who had fibroids removed will have new ones within five years. Mm. So she fits the bill very much. So the teeth. Um, big things that you can do to help slow the growth of fibroids would be, again, like I was just talking about, limiting the thing that actually causes fibroids to grow. Fibroids feed on estrogen. And so as long as your cycles are regular and just on curbed, you're going to have them grow over time. But also, yes, there are foods that we eat that are what we call estrogenic. Uh, there are things in different types of foods that we eat that behave like hormones within our body. So yeah, I, I always start with telling patients to look at an anti-inflammatory diet. So okay. that would be watch dairy and your red meat. Um, so limiting your dairy intake is one that we recommend. Has there been any large study looking at the direct impact of dairy and fibroids? No, mm -hmm. but I'll tell you what we do know. We know that most of our dairy comes from animals that had to be fed hormones to keep producing milk. Mm -hmm. And so indirectly, you end up with some of that. We know that a lot of our food that we eat in terms of meat um, comes from animals that were fed antibiotics that act like hormones in the human body. And so that can have an impact as well. So I start off by telling people, limit your red meat intake um, to, you know, once a week if you can, or maybe only on special occasions, limiting your dairy intake. Um, dairy in general, in women of color, particularly black women, 50% of us can't process dairy very well anyway, mm. but it further exacerbate bloating, et cetera, and really make it hard for you to tell whether your bloating is from the uterus or from your gut uh, reacting to lactose. So 
limiting your dairy. But other things would be, you know, looking at the soy foods that you eat. If you're going to eat soy, we recommend eating fermented soy, meaning the estrogen type compounds have been broken down through the fermentation process. So, you know, your soy intake, limiting that. There's studies, not strong enough in data, but there's some studies that suggest green tea might have a positive effect in shrinking fibroids somewhat and definitely in inhibiting growth, keeping them from growing. So we've talked about maybe if you're going to have tea, have green tea, um, but again, you know, watching where that comes from. So those will be some of the dietary things that you can control. Um, But many times, I'll be honest, those things would slow the growth, but they don't prevent the Mm. growth of your And so if you truly are looking to, well, I'll tell you this, the honest truth I tell my patients, but of course, most of the patients I see these days are fertility patients. I tell them, if we're removing your fibroids, we need to work on getting pregnant as soon as possible. Typically, that's three months after your fibroid removal surgery, after we've made sure the womb is healed well enough to hold a baby. Mm -hmm. And so that's really the goal. If you're going to remove your fibroids, you need to have an active plan for childbearing or for keeping things small, which is where a birth control pill comes in. Mm -hmm. If you're not actively trying, we recommend going on a progesterone-only pill. So that's one that has limited a hormonal effect on your body, limited um, mood changes or anything like that, but it certainly keeps your fibroids small. And I would recommend that if you're someone doing a myomectomy, meaning a fibroid removal surgery, but you're also thinking, I may not want to be pregnant for three, four, five, six years. Um, And that's because, like I said, two out of every three women who have fibroids removed will find themselves with new problematic fibroids within five years of that surgery. Mm. Got it. Super clear. So if you are planning to have a child within five years of your myomectomy, um, best be ready or have a plan in place to, to start you know, if you're, if you're looking to have kids, it's best to start as soon as you're physically able to post-surgery before the fibroids potentially return. That's what it sounds like, right? Absolutely. If they come back, again, it's better to have the surgery to address them before they get too large a second time around. And so specific to the caller, I would say really talk to your doctor and talk about your goals. At 39, never pregnant, I would imagine if you have any desires to be pregnant, you're going to be acting on it within the next two to three years, if not sooner. And so at this point, I would say you really need a plan to address the fibroids, but also to talk about just your eggs and pregnancy if your goal is a biological child. Okay, so listen. The fact is, in this day and age, we are seeing that women of color are actually starting businesses at a faster rate than anyone else. Super, super exciting. Love it. We are business owners. We're making our money. We are not letting anything stop us in our way. And um, we're very career focused now. Now then, you know, you know, our, our, maybe our mothers or our grandmothers were, you know, um, back in time. And what that, what is, what that essentially means, um, not for everybody, but for, I'd say most cases is that, you know, women are marrying later and they're having children later. Do you, can you share any top tips to help us 
put ourselves in a better health position to conceive successfully for those out there who are planning to have children, say, at the age of 37 plus? I think the first thing is to really emphasize that every woman listening here, that we don't make new eggs. We're born with all the eggs we'll ever have. And then those eggs age with us. And I say that as someone who is within the same age group that you're referring to to me. And I have to say that short of being within the field, it's not a conversation that women of color really have. We don't hear it from our parents. We don't hear it from our teachers. We're not hearing it from our friends. We're not hearing it in our places of worship. Whereas a lot of other cultures, a lot of other ethnic groups, this is something that they discuss early on. So I would say even though we are currently the most highly educated and accomplished group, Mm. we're also a group most likely to get to age 40 and never having become a parent, right? Because we're very career focused and nobody's ever really explained to us that our eggs going away. You know, matter of fact, we're raised to believe black doesn't crack. And it's nice. We it, mm-hmm. it, it emboldens us. You look in the mirror and you blow yourself a kiss because you're like, yeah. <laughs> right? But the eggs are not doing that. The eggs aren't doing that. And it's not enough to say, oh, my grandmother had a child in her 40s or my, uh, my mom had me when she was 41. That doesn't necessarily mean you will have the same outcome. Oh, my gosh. Can we- I just stop you right there? <laughs> sitting here thinking to myself, wait till I tell you that my grandmother had my mother when she was 50. (laughs) And I've been sitting here thinking, I'm good. (laughs) Yeah, no, but it's not because (laughs) things can change. And a couple things to know, right? Remember, I was just talking about all those dietary and environmental things out there that are now affecting fibroids. They're also affecting our egg quality and our egg count. There are also things that are involved in like the containers we use to Mm. keep our food, certain plastics where things can leach into our food that then kill our eggs. Um, There's so many things in modern day society, environmental factors, and I'm not saying this to make anyone out there paranoid. That's not my goal here. But I do want people to say, you know what, even if I'm planning to meet the right person, or maybe you're planning to be a single parent by choice, which I encourage as well. You still should, at age 30, ask for a test to look at your egg number, to have a sense of where you are. But don't be just consoled by that. Because here's the thing. So like I said, we're all born with the eggs we're going to have for the rest of our lives. When we're born, we're born with somewhere between one to two million eggs. By the time we hit puberty to me, we're down to 400,000 eggs. By the time we're age 30... Yeah, this is the part that's going to really blow your mind. By the time we're 30 years old, 70% of the eggs we were born with are gone. Here's the real kicker. By the time we're 40, we're left with only 3% of the eggs we were born with, which means that between age 30 and age 40, 27% of the eggs we were born with are gone. And so it's really a critical decade, a decade that We haven't done a very good job of talking to each other about. Mm -hmm. We certainly also haven't done a good job at explaining what happens to the eggs that are remaining. Mm -hmm. So 
Sure, you have 3% of the eggs you were born with when you're 40, but they're also 40-year-old eggs because your eggs actually were formed six, four months before you were born. Your eggs are actually older than you they're are. older than us. They're older than you are. And so, you know, some mornings you wake up and you need a little extra oomph. The yeah. eggs are the same thing. And so what I say to patients is strongly consider egg freezing as your backup plan. You may not do it, but you should have it as your backup plan. And the younger you are when you freeze, the better your odds. So, for example, if someone's 25 and freezes eggs, for every five eggs that she freezes, she's going to have at least one baby born from that. Mm-hmm. For someone who's 40, she's going to need to freeze somewhere between 18 to 25 eggs to have a shot at one baby. Mm-hmm. Right? And so it's really, really, re- yet the other thing is, so she needs 18 to 25 eggs to freeze, but she may not have that many to come out of exactly. her Exactly, exactly. And so you're really playing a game of diminishing returns. And so what I say to patients is, why not freeze the best version of yourself, which is what egg freezing is? You are literally stopping the clock on the eggs aging and putting the best version of yourself that you will have for the future going forward. So even if you're 51, you can still use your egg that you froze at 30, 31. Mm, I see. 